Thank you for listening to Data Science at Home podcast with Francesco Gadaletta. You are about to get cutting edge insights from the people who are reshaping the world of technology with machine learning, data science, and artificial intelligence. It's time for Data Science at Home. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. I'm Francesco, podcasting from the regular office of Leuven in Belgium. Today, I'm not alone. I'm with uh, Aaron Richter, a data scientist at uh, Saturn Cloud. Hi, Aaron. How are you doing? Hi, Francesco. Good to be here. <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you here on the show. And uh, thanks, of course, for taking the time and uh, speak with us uh, about something that is extremely important and interesting at the same time, uh, which is about platforms for data scientists and in particular about scaling machine learning. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to talk about all these topics. <laughs> cool. So what is Saturn Cloud and uh, what's your role there, Aaron? So yeah, I started kind of my career in kind of typical software engineering and then kind of went into the data science space. Uh, I ended up doing a PhD in specifically focusing on data science and machine learning um, and my really in kind of like the healthcare space. So I ended up doing a lot of work uh, in kind of scikit-learn and XGBoost and those types of tools and doing training models there. And then in my work, I was also working full time as a data scientist for, for several years at an electronic health record company. Um, and in that work, I was doing a lot of building data pipelines and building um, a data warehouse, kind of very different work. And that was in the kind of like Hadoop and kind of Spark tooling. And so it was interesting to kind of work in both of those spaces and see how like industry was needing kind of data warehousing, how I was needing machine learning, and then how those two kind of worlds were coming together. And so I learned a lot about just how to make my code run faster. I'm really impatient as far as waiting for models to train. So I was spinning up a bunch of different machines, training a bunch of models at the same time, but also learning how to do like this big, large scale data transformations, which I think has kind of helped. And it's really exciting to be kind of riding that wave and seeing the future of how scalable machine learning and data science is going and being part of it. So I'm really excited to, to be where I am now and working in the space that I'm at. Saturn Cloud is a data science platform. So essentially we're a, a cloud-based platform where data science teams can run all of their data science code. We're kind of like an end-to-end -end solution. And we focus primarily in uh, the Python data science space. And we specifically focus on scaling with tools like Dask and Rapids. Uh, and my specific role at Saturn Cloud is my title is data scientist. And my focus is a lot on advocacy of these tools. Like I mentioned, Dask and Rapids scaling approaches, and then specifically our platform. So really showing people how they can make their data science code faster, how they can do that on Saturn Cloud and how Saturn Cloud makes that really easy for teams to get up and running. That's very cool because many of these technologies are in fact uh, essential technology solution, technological solutions for uh, indeed large scale machine learning. And we'll get into the details of what these hardware and software solutions are. Uh, now, my question to you is, uh, what does scaling mean when it comes to machine learning? Sure, yeah. So scaling in general, you can think about it from a, from a general kind of computing perspective is when you start to run out of resources. So typically resources you can think about are computing and memory, right? So like the CPU and the RAM on your computer. So when you're loading in a data set, you're typically loaded into memory on your machine and then your CPU is what's used to do the processing. So when we're scaling, 
it means we're kind of getting outside of the bounds of that single computer memory kind of uh, processing paradigm is when we're pushing the limits of that. And so the idea is you can scale to maybe better hardware. So, you know, if my machine has 16 gigs of RAM, I can get another machine that has 64. Or if I'm doing processing on a CPU, I can go to a GPU, which will kind of crunch numbers faster and do processing. So and then the other aspect of scaling is when you're kind of adding more machines and you're doing this like distributed or cluster computing. So instead of one machine that has 16 gigs of RAM, I have 10 of those. So then in total, I have over 100 gigs of RAM. And then there are ways that different softwares can interact with these kind of different types of scaling to essentially make code run faster or work with larger data sets. And then that's kind of where the parallel comes into machine learning is that, you know, if you have a, a data set that you want to train a model with and it's bigger than the memory on your machine, you either have to get a machine with bigger memory or you can go to a cluster of machines where you can kind of split up your data across that uh, and then train your model there. Right. So, well, as a matter of fact, scaling is an extremely important concept in machine learning, especially, uh, you know, nowadays that the volumes of data that we deal with is growing and growing and uh, uh, looking at, you know, having uh, being in front of solutions that use uh, multiple uh, CPUs for sure, but also multiple GPUs when it comes, for example, to massive deep learning models. It's it's becoming kind of the norm <laughs> rather than the exception. Um, now, uh, my uh, um, curiosity comes from the fact that uh, I've seen these things happening a lot in, with scientific computing. Uh, what are other domains that, especially at Saturn Cloud, um, are, you know, uh, for which scaling machine learning is a relevant topic? Sure. And, and like you said, it's so pervasive now, the fact that data sets are growing everywhere, that it really covers pretty much all industries, right? Like there's just so much more data being collected and you want to be able to train the most accurate models possible. So you want to be able to use more data and then you need, you know, more data, you need more machines to, to hold that data. But some, some good examples of industries that, that this happens is, is like your typical, like, and I guess the pioneers of this really are your like consumer internet companies, right? So like Twitter, Facebook, those types of like big social media companies that are consuming a lot of consumer generated content. Um, they had to push the envelope early on. Right. And so those problems continue. And that's a place where scaling is really, really important because you're just dealing with large data sizes. But we see this in in other industries as well, um, even like healthcare industries, um, when you're you know anywhere from like electronic health records to uh, genomic data. Again, it's just volumes are increasing. We're getting more. We're building more sophisticated models. Uh, and then you can get into things like uh, you mentioned deep learning and, and computer vision when we need to kind of you know, extract information out of pictures or video, that's when those, you know, pictures and video have a lot of numbers, you know, pushed into one file, right? And so that becomes just a lot of data and a lot of things to process over. So again, you're going to need to scale, use a cluster and distribute for, for those things. But the list really goes on. Um, and we have kind of customers all across different industry sectors that have needs for this and, and all sort of their own different ways. Um, but the general premise is still that we need more resources and, and being able to kind of turn through things fast. Yeah. Well, you mentioned that indeed the uh, volumes of data are uh, the number one factor that require uh, scalable solutions to be designed in the first place. But are there other reasons why uh, one is thinking in uh, you know scalable fashion in machine learning? 
Sure. And, and yes, there are. And, and that's a great point, actually, because we, we typically tend to talk about this as, oh, my data doesn't fit in RAM, so now I need a cluster. But there are a lot of other considerations for when you would want to scale. So a, a, I mean, and this is really those kind of like compute bound problems. So maybe your data set is fairly small and it fits into memory, but I'm doing some sort of hyperparameter search because I want to get the most uh, performant model, right? So that means I'm going to have to train hundreds of different combinations of parameters into that model. And in that case, I just need a lot of computing and the best, you know, and you want that to happen fast, right? You don't want to be waiting days and weeks for experiments to finish. So if you can scale that across a cluster or even on faster hardware, that experiment will finish and then you can get a better and faster model. That even applies to not, not even on just parameter searching, but if you have complex models that just have a lot of processing, like deep learning or ensemble models, uh, you know, distributed tree models, those kinds of things just need to process through a lot of stuff where scaling also helps. Right. And so you mentioned also, I believe you're referring to, for example, grid search or random search for hyperparameter uh, exploration, right? Where indeed the number of possible combinations of hyperparameters can explode, in fact, when, when the number of hyperparameters is extremely large, right? Correct. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I'm referring to, and and that and those are and that's one of those problems where you can scale that like pretty easily, right? Because those individual model trainings don't necessarily have to communicate, like they don't have to know about it, right? I can just say I have a hundred combinations. Let me train all of these on a hundred different machines, and then I get the answer back in the time that it only takes to train one instead of waiting for a hundred exactly. process and sequence. And how is the problem of scaling currently solved, regardless of your company? Uh, like outside in the general, uh, you know, in the community of data scientists, how do people uh, uh, tackle uh, the problem of scaling? Sure. And, and, and there's a lot here and I, I can go into some a brief kind of like history lesson almost with this and I'll try to keep it brief. But I think it's helpful to have some context on like how scaling has progressed over the years. And uh, so like I mentioned, it start a lot of it started with these large consumer internet companies even like 10, 15 years ago. So, um, and this is the main concepts of I need better hardware or I need more hardware. That's fairly straightforward, right? And it makes sense and that's kind of the general way to approach it. But the key now is when you get that hardware is the software solutions that are utilizing that hardware. And so that's where the industry has kind of evolved. It started off with this like with, with a tool called Hadoop which was a, a, a really big deal at the time that it was created, but it probably introduced this concept of distributed computing on a bunch of hardware. And so, so that was kind of like the initial thing maybe 10, 15 years ago, um, but it was fairly slow. Like that was the point where you could um, train models and, and do processing on large amounts of data, but the processing was still fairly slow. So then along the way came uh, another tool kind of born out of that ecosystem called Spark, and that tool uh, really sped up a lot of the computations because of its programming model, because of the way that it did processing in memory. Um, there's a lot of details there, but that became like a really popular uh, kind of big data, you know, scaling distributed kind of computing platform. And that's still, it's still pretty widely used today. So a lot of places when you're talking about scaling, distrib distributing, you're going to hear Spark mentioned or brought up when you're dealing with kind of like large processing. Um, but there's a lot of other tools and that's why I'm really excited to be in the space and in the company that I'm in with Saturn Cloud is because uh, you're, we're seeing now within the last five years and up to present um, a different paradigm, I think, for 
like distributed computing. So there was that that one paradigm of Hadoop and Spark, which kind of was born out of these large scale like data engineering, data processing type worlds. Whereas um, tools nowadays are, are being specifically geared towards data scientists and scientific computing workloads. And, um, and so those are tools like Dask that I've been talking about. So Dask is, has been around for several year, years now, but it's tightly integrated with the uh, Python data science ecosystem. Um, and it was built to kind of parallelize existing packages that were already there, like Pandas or NumPy or, or Scikit-Learn. And so, you know, that's kind of that's kind of like the landscape that we see now. And there's a lot of tools now kind of being built up in this scientific computing parallel scaling kind of world. Um, and it can be kind of, a, you know, a bit confusing, actually, because there's a lot of tools in this space. But I think the really exciting part is that there are tools being built for data scientists to do their workloads with the tools that they're used to rather than having to kind of like rewrite code into, into different programming models. Yeah. Well, when you mention um, uh, scientific computing, um, as a, you know, in historical, from an historical perspective, we are used to think of scientific computing, you know, in the realm of academia. Uh, even though, of course, there are uh, industrial entities and scenarios uh, in which scientific computing is actually uh, the field uh, in a more applied, uh, in the more applied sense of the world of the word, right? Now, have you seen or have you noticed some differences uh, between academia and industry when it comes to scalable machine learning? Sure, absolutely. And, and yeah, and, and I think I've noticed this just from my own experience uh, of doing my PhD research, being in academia, but then also kind of being in industry. And a lot of it is like tool choice and even infrastructure setup decisions. So when you think about academia and especially places that have been doing scientific computing for a long time, there's a lot of organizations kind of in and adopting this high performance computing world. So a lot of people call, you know, HPC is the abbreviation, um, but there's a lot of tool and infrastructure, tooling and infrastructure set up for that. And uh, tools like MPI, Slurm, and those are really kind of just like high performance computing. They are clusters, but it's a slightly different paradigm than what industry has used with things like Hadoop and Spark. Um, and so, you know, so, you know, people in scientific computing would kind of write their code, whether it's in C, Python, or whatever, and then kind of submit that stuff to these potentially like high-performance uh, computing uh, servers. And so, um, and then you look at industry, and like I said, with with Hadoop and big data and Spark and and, and those kinds of things, um, those clusters were kind of you know a lot of the times run on either on-premise or cloud uh, computing, and using those different kind of like job schedulers and infrastructure resources. And so me personally, you know, at my university, we had a high performance computing cluster that was managed with Slurm. And so if oh, you wanted me to too, see, actually, <laughs> ah, there you go. Great. What a coincidence. <laughs> know, Sorry, right? go ahead. <laughs> no, no, it's a, it's a popular tool and it, it was used a lot. And there was, and it, I think it's really popular is because there were so many different use cases that were being run on that cluster with people all over different uh, colleges, different departments doing different things. Um, and so, you know, if you wanted to do that in academia, you would probably, you know, be using Slurm and submitting your jobs there. Um, but then I was also working at a company, uh, an electronic health record company that was kind of building their stuff in the cloud on Hadoop and Spark clusters. So I was able to see kind of both worlds and they didn't really like 
interact super well. Like I was trying to bring uh, Spark into my research environment onto that HPC cluster. And it was kind of difficult to get like submit those jobs into Slurm because there's these two kind of different types of, of job schedulers working. You got to make sure they're integrated um, and things like that. So, so when I my own personal experience of the differences between academia and industry are really just like the tools that they have adopted over the years, and then seeing the infrastructure that was built up uh, to support that. And then when you see tools like Dask, it was it's built. I'd say it was initially kind of leaning more on the like scientific computing, slightly academic, but really, really in tune with the Python data science ecosystem. So Dask itself works with all of those different types of HPC uh, orchestration tools, but it also actually runs on cloud computing. It'll run on Hadoop clusters and everything like that. So it's a really good bridge for for that gap is where you know Dask was built to be able to kind of run anywhere in academic or industry environments, um, and then now even we're seeing a lot of industry adoption and enterprise uh, companies, even such as Saturn Cloud, being built around Dask to offer like easy ways to get access to Dask, and so that's why it's a really exciting tool to work with because it's very accessible to people. It works within the Python ecosystem already, and it'll work on all kinds of different infrastructure. Yeah. Well, before we move to the, you know, discussion about some of the most advanced software solutions for scalable machine learning, uh, I would like to stay a bit on the, on the cloud versus dedicated uh, hardware uh, or hosted hardware, uh, you know, difference. So, uh, you know, when the clouds came uh, into the into the arena uh, of machine learning, uh, many things have changed since then, of course, because people were uh, buying, purchasing GPUs on their um, local machines, Linux boxes and stuff. And then uh, when, for example, Amazon and then all the others uh, made GPU available in the cloud, well, that was a game changer. Um, to the best of your knowledge, is the cloud usually more convenient or just faster than dedicated or hosted? Uh, yes, and that's generally my opinion and, and a lot of uh, talks I've given in the past. Uh, and, and because of my own experiences, I'm really a big, heavy cloud proponent uh, for, for a lot of different reasons. I think um, one of those is just being able to use the latest and greatest hardware. Like let's say if you know I were to purchase a GPU for a few thousand dollars, a year or two from now, Nvidia is going to come out with a better one, and I'm going to have to try to sell the old one or sink another few thousand dollars on on that GPU. Whereas you know if you rent something in the cloud, you're paying per hour or per second for it, and then you can swap over to the newest thing when it comes out. Uh, I think M uh, AWS even just launched uh, some P4 instances with some newer GPUs, and so it's like boom. Mm -hmm. It's the same code. You can just say, okay, I want this machine now, uh, and then it's running. And you can get like scale to as many machines, obviously as many machines as Amazon has, but they have quite a lot of machines, or, or Google. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, they have a lot of machines. And so especially when it comes to like data science workloads, they're often bursty, right? So I might spend a lot of time like theorizing and thinking about a problem, doing some light exploratory analysis, and I don't need a lot of hardware. But then I might want to do some giant grid search or try a bunch of different models. And I spin up a hundred or hundreds of machines to be able to have that execute quickly. And so you have a lot more access to uh, more elastic workloads when you're working with the cloud. Because otherwise, if I wanted 200 machines on-prem, I'd have to buy 200 machines. And then probably most of the time, they're not being used. And then you have 
you know, a team of people who have to deal with the kind of physical hardware setup uh, and everything like that. Whereas the cloud, again, you can just request some resources, you're paying per second or per hour. Um, and I think uh, if I add, may add a little bit more to this, actually, there's even the way I think about this logically is there's even one more layer on top of just the cloud. It's uh, software as a service products such as Saturn Cloud, but there's plenty of other companies that are built on top of the cloud. So, so when you're dealing with like AWS, Azure, uh, GCP, they they introduce a whole suite of their own concepts, right? So you're not now dealing with physical hardware anymore, but now you're dealing with all types of hundreds of different services in each of those clouds that are specific to those clouds, where you really need an expert team of of DevOps engineers to really make sure your security is set up, to make sure you're using all the right services, access, and then kind of just keeping up with updates and all of those things. So it's still fairly low level. Like an individual can go in to Amazon, I do it all the time, spin up a machine and then get running. But when you wanna extend that to an enterprise, it becomes a lot of work to manage that. So you see companies built on top of it, again, such as Saturn Cloud, we run on top of AWS, where we abstract away a lot of that management, a lot of the security, a lot of the cluster management, to make sure all the networking is working between machines and, and such like that. So I think that's like the top level and really the easiest way to access uh, this kind of scaling infrastructure is, you know, products now built on top of the cloud. Yeah, I also agree with you. I mean, if you're a data scientist and you are, you should be focusing on your own business, so to speak, which is building models and building and finding the most optimal uh, solution for that model. Uh, so dealing with the hardware and with the machine learning model and the hyperparameter optimization at the same time is is a very challenging task. And most of the time, you uh, you know, I've seen people failing at all the three of them right. <laughs> because it's, uh, it's like I'm a data okay. scientist. I don't want to have to be a, a DevOps engineer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Aaron, it's time to talk about software solutions, if you don't mind. Sure. <laughs> um, now, the, I know that this is a kind of your favorite topic because you were you were really looking forward to this moment yeah. of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know that. So Aaron and I, we were discussing about some software solutions behind the scenes. Uh, and so, well, uh, this is the space and this is your chance to uh, unroll what are the software solutions that are available as we speak um, to the community out there, because most of them, if I'm not wrong, uh, they are open source solutions, right? Yes, yeah, all the ones that I kind of discuss and, and talk about are all open source, right? The, the the money part comes in when you need to get hardware, right? But all of these software solutions right. are open source. Yeah, so please go ahead. Sure, yeah, so, so you know, thinking about the tools that data scientists like to use, right? Uh, and I'll start from kind of like the tried and true, straightforward stuff, right, is like pandas, NumPy, scikit-learn, right? Those are kind of like the single machine, in-memory, single core types of tools that have been around for years, are really mature, people love them, comfortable using them. And then, then when we go into scaling, there's all kinds of different tools to, to think about. So I mentioned earlier uh, Hadoop and Spark. So Spark is, is, is a pretty mature tool that again is being used in a lot of places. Um, there's Dask, which is, is a tool that uh, Saturn Cloud uses uh, also another cluster computing tool. Uh, there's another tool, a newer one called Ray. Um, and then there's a really exciting li library called Rapids, which is actually a GPU uh, computing library. So to kind of break down all of those, and I know there's a, 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 another episode about um, 
you know, some of these different tools. I have some content as well where I, I gave a talk recently at the PyData Global Conference where I actually went down and specifically broke down differences between Spark, uh, Ray, Dask, Rapids. Um, so, so there's definitely uh, a lot more to reference and more than I'm not going to be able to cover now. But the, the, the general idea is, like I mentioned, Spark is born out of the kind of big data, Hadoop data engineering world. It's built in Scala. Which, uh, which is a language that executes inside of the Java or virtual machines. Yes, and I want to, um, I've been discussing about some of these um, software solutions in a previous episode. It's episode 112, 112, um, in which uh, I've been elucidating some, you know, of the differences between uh, the tools that you just mentioned. So uh, to the followers of the show, please feel free to uh, get back to the episode 112 and get at a, a complete overview that for obvious reasons uh, we cannot go deep into uh, in uh, you know today um, Aaron I have actually a question um, about these tools that you just mentioned uh, what to use when yeah and that's a great question and that's a question that I hear a lot when I'm talking about these different tools and, and in the community I actually gave a, a talk at the PyData global conference uh, virtual conference in 2020 as well um, where I, I go a little bit deeper again don't have as much time to, so you can reference that if you want to. But um, so, what to use when? So, I think a lot of organizations have Spark, right? So, if Spark is a thing that's available to you, um, I'd say it's it's good at the SQL um, like data frame operations, so like kind of tabular data frame operations. I use it a lot for that, um, and and it's pretty good at that. I think when you want to then go into machine learning, scientific computing is where Spark starts to break down, and it's challenging. So. Um, that's where I recommend Dask, and, I, and Dask has a fantastic data frame library. So I would absolutely recommend that people use that as well. But again, if you have Spark already, need to get work done, it, it makes sense. But when you're going really into this kind of machine learning side, uh, Dask is just much more integrated to the Python data science ecosystem. It works with Scikit-Learn, um, and it's the backbone to a lot of other projects in the space. And so when you're thinking things like multi-dimensional arrays. Dask is 100% your choice. It's the only tool out of all of these that actually does scalable multidimensional arrays. Um, when you're doing uh, machine learning, so anything that you might do in scikit-learn, there's a Dask ML library that's really good at that. Uh, really compelling libraries too to use Dask with is XGBoost and LightGBM. They both have native Dask integrations that actually under the hood of the XGBoost and LightGBM packages are actually already utilizing Dask. So you're using the libraries you already know under the hood, it's Dask. And then another key reason to use Dask is its native integration with Rapids, that GPU library I mentioned. Um, so if you want like really, really fast, kind of like next level, next paradigm type performance increases, you want to use GPUs, so you'll want to use Rapids. But GPUs have a lot less RAM than a CPU would, or, or your typical memory. So how, does, how do you get larger data sets to use GPU computing? Well, you scale out, right? And Rapids has a native integration with Dask. So Dask does the scaling to multiple GPUs or multiple computers that have GPUs. And then you get these really, really fast uh, performance increases. Um, Ray itself was built, I, I believe the, the reason Ray was created was for like distributed types of uh, deep learning, reinforcement learning specifically type workloads. So Ray would be a tool that you might want to look at if you're specifically only looking at those workloads. Um, but Dask also does integrate with uh, deep learning tools like uh, here at Saturn we've, we've, we put out an integration between uh, PyTorch's uh, distributed data parallel 
and Dask, and you can find that GitHub repo and use it. Um, and so, so th you know, there's a lot of considerations. I'd say Dask has a lot of really, really big components, but the other tools have their own merits as well. Yeah. Well, thanks for the overview, of course. And uh, do you think there is a different learning curve for the tools that you mentioned? So uh, starting with the context of being like a, a Python data scientist that's used to doing like scikit-learn, pandas, things like that, um, there is different learning curves for each of these tools. I, I say Spark has the highest learning curve because even though it has a Python API, you're rewriting all of your code into kind of Spark's paradigms and then it's executing still inside of the JVM. So you might get some kind of weird errors. Cluster management is, is a little bit difficult. Um, so there's definitely like a, a steeper learning curve. And I think some people even tend to kind of fight against having to learn Spark and try to just kind of get bigger machines and use Pandas. Um, and so that's where the, the Dask learning curve is, is, is much lighter because the Dask data frame API is the same as the Pandas API. It's, and it's actually distributing collections of Pandas data frames under the hood. So you're a Python data scientist, you can work with it already, and you can interpret errors and you can contribute back to it. So if it's do, if this, there's something that's missing and you're already familiar with Python, you can actually read the source code and, and kind of see what it's doing. Um, and the same with Rapids, it, its APIs all match the kind of PyData tools, scikit-learn, pandas, numpy. Um, so it's a, it's a less of a learning curve. The, the learning curve there is really just thinking about the fact that you're on a cluster, thinking about kind of like submitting tasks that aren't like happening immediately or, you know, results aren't being returned immediately. Well, this was amazing. Aaron, I think that the followers of Data Science at Home podcast will find this episode extremely interesting because uh, scaling machine learning today is, as we said at the beginning of this show, the rule rather than the exception nowadays. Um, of course, uh, most of the uh, software solutions and of course the hardware solutions that Aaron uh, mentioned in this episode will be reported to the show notes of this episode at uh, datascienceathome.com, our official website. Um, of course, I take the chance to renew the invitation to our official Discord channel. Uh, the link will be also in the show notes of this episode. Aaron, this is the end. Uh, I had a lot of fun. It was an extremely interesting show and uh, I'm very glad to have you here. Thank you, Francesco. I really enjoyed uh, being on here as well and talking about these things. It's one of my favorite things to do and I, I could talk all day about it. So if anybody wants to reach out to me, absolutely do and, and we can keep the conversation going. That's great. Thank you very much, Aaron. Have a nice one. Thank you. You too. You've been listening to Data Science at Home podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.